Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to the MMA Geeks Sea Level Podcast. This is your host, Stan Drive, and the two botched main events in a row to my UFC, my partner in crime, Nick Braccia. How do you do, fella? How do you do? I do all right, brother. How you doing? That's it. That's your intro line. That's all you're going to say. I do, all, I do all right, brother. Well, you asked me how I was doing. I'm good. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, hey, we're coming off of a big UK card. I think it's cool, you know, the UFC goes to... Uh, Goes to countries where it needs to make a lot of money and gives all the, like stacks of carbon fighters from there and gives them uh, comically favorable matchups. Yeah, it's, um, that's always a good time, isn't it? Isn't that what the sport is made for? For Molly McCann to get a knockout over somebody who doesn't have a UFC win and act <laughs> like she got a top five win or something. <laughs> does Hannah Goldie not have a UFC win? Uh, I would be surprised if she does. Let me see. You know what she does? I think she. I think she won her last fight oddly enough by armbar against. Yeah, she beat Emily. Whitmire, who, who yeah. is, I think she's known as, two, I think she's known as Emily Quitmire, I think, something like that, because oh, she just two, falls apart uh, after a first round every single time, just completely falls apart, just implodes. Well, let's not, let's be, let's be fair to her, she got submitted in the first round in her last two fights, so she didn't fall apart after it, she fell apart, you know. Oh, you know, you're saying she fell apart almost right away, she just like gets top position, and she can't help getting submitted from there every time. Like, why do you keep putting yourself in a position where you're going to get submitted? You know, Nick, I didn't expect that we'd be discussing Emily Whitmire as the intro to the show. But here we are. We're actually going to uh, see how much time we have left before to really kind of diving in and discussing UFC London. But we are going to break down a big one this week, folks. UFC 277, Pena versus Nunes 2. We've got Moreno versus Kaikar France, right? The top two fights on the card with titles on the line. Both rematches that arguably have been asked for i suppose uh i i am i am intrigued by some elements of this card for sure i mean there's you know we've got super prospect magomed akalai if i should say contender at this point right he could be going into a title shot after this one uh we've got you know old returning guys like morono and drew dober which which i think is interesting we've got jacar close coming back as, as as kind of a name that we're familiar with and then there's you know a spattering of of people that we'd have to wikipedia and google before we knew anything about them but I think pretty overall good card, and I expect that it will probably deliver. Yeah, I think it. I think there'll be some good fights here. It's it's not going to have the emotional uh, hotness that the, the last card did with those, you know, these UK fighters doing victory lap upon victory lap. No, I, I could see Dallas going nuts, but I, I, I think you're right. I, I don't expect them to go like absolutely insane. Like this is not going mean, to bring go, the same kind of energy. Go. I don't think. Yeah, look on that's I mean, even though I don't I think that Dallas and Houston have a bit of static between them, I still think, you know, if Derek Lewis knocks out Sergei Pavlovic, he'll uh, he'll get a big Oh, he'll light it yeah, up for get, sure. Morono is a, props, I believe but, a Dallas guy. Uh, who else? I think Anthony Smith, if I'm not mistaken. Oh no, I, I don't think he's a I don't think he's a Texas guy. I know he's from the south, but I don't think Texas is it. Let me see who else here is a Texas person. I don't know about I mean, Brandon, Brandon Moreno, you know, is Mexico. Um, so he'll he'll get a good pop. Probably not not the same pop he would he would get in probably other parts of Texas, but he'll still get a good a good pop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can see it. So yeah, look, it should be interesting. If he wins, and that's by pop. no means by no means a sure thing that Brandon Moreno beats Kai Kara France. 
No, I think Kai Car France has proven that, like, you know, just being confident against him at this point is silly. He's a really, really high level fighter. But Brandon Moreno's shown that he is 1A or 1B uh, as the best 125er in the world. So, again, intrigued by this, this is a rematch from several years ago that was a competitive fight. Uh, granted, before Brandon Moreno became just like a super version of himself and before Kaikara France realized or, or figured out how to use his power. So, I, I'm intrigued by this, man. Definitely intrigued by this card. Um, we're going to break this thing down. I believe I have the first pick this week, Nick, if that is, if, if you will agree. I got a point on you last week, which puts me 14 and a half points ahead, Nick. All is exactly as it should be in the world. And Nick, my first pick this week is going to be in the matchup between Magomed Ankalaev and Anthony Smith. God damn it, I, I figured that would be your first. Here's the thing. Anthony Smith as an underdog, is he capable? Yes, man. Will he take care of some of these guys that are on the come up? Devin Clark, Jimmy Crute, Ryan Spann. Will he take care of guys like that? Yes, he will. Will he take care of an Alexander Gustafson that is a that is you know has begun on the extreme descent that he has come in his career back in 2019? Yes, right. But outside of that, anybody on this level that he fights, Alexander Rakic uh, dominated him. Glover Teixeira after after a rough first round dominated him. John Jones dominated him pillar to post. Uh, and these are not the same level of guys as Span, Crute, and Clark. Magomed Ankalaev is a lot closer to the Rockiches and the Glover Teixeiros and the John Joneses of the world. In fact, arguably on par with Teixeira and Rakic in, in, in a couple different ways. Um, I expect that his speed is going to be a huge factor here. He doesn't really have a high takedown percentage for a Dagestani guy, I'll be honest with you. He generally prefers to fight safe, but I think over the course of a three-round fight, he can put together enough moments to uh, beat out Anthony Smith. I do think, like, takedowns should be doable for him. Smith has developed his game quite a bit, even since the John Jones loss. His jab is snappy now. His wrestling is better than it used to be. His grappling has always been pretty solid. And even though we saw Ankalaev uh, get submitted by Paul Craig with one second left in the third round, right, that mental slip, he is capable of it. That was his UFC debut. I'm giving him a mulligan since he faced a guy that has done this to a lot of high-level light heavyweights. Anthony Smith hasn't submitted a bunch of high-level light heavyweights from his back. He submitted a bunch of mediocre light heavyweights from his back. There's a big difference there. So uh, I've got Manga Bad on Clive here. I think it's going to be a decision. If you can get the finish here, though, that's the kind of statement you make to get a title shot. Um, if it's a really boring fight, he might get skipped over. He might need to fight another kind of tough matchup before getting the title shot. But it's all up to him here. If he can put it on Anthony Smith... Um, he can get this win. What's interesting with Smith is that he didn't train at elevation in this one with uh, with X. Is it X Factor? What's that gym called, Nick? Hold on. Uh, Factory X Muay Thai. He wasn't there for this one, right? He was back home, I think, in his own gym, if I'm not mistaken. So you got to wonder, like, as much as he's confident and he's a decent analyst and he understands a lot of elements of the sport, is he really truly prepared for this training basically at home instead of a high-level team? Uh, that's another kind of strike against him. So I got Magomed Ankalaev by unanimous decision. Yeah, that was going to be my first pick. I did not think you were going to go there. So, um, you know, thanks for that, I suppose. You're welcome, buddy boy. It's the reason uh, I'm but yeah, I just, points ahead. I think, I, just, I think Smith has a hard time keeping, keeping this on the feet. Uh, and even if he does, I think it's fairly evenly matched there. But his his uh, he gets he gets taken down and sometimes has has trouble getting up. And I think I think me also I feel like Smith is a guy that does a little bit better. And and if this was five if this was five rounds, I would feel like yeah maybe a shot. You know to make things ugly, um, to come back a little bit. 
Um, maybe Uncle Ivan gets tired um, and isn't, you know, and he's defending, Smith is defending takedowns better later in the fight. But I, I agree with you. I think uh, Smith's recent victories have been against lackluster competition. And Ankaya has been has been in there uh, recently, doing you know doing well with some of the horses of the division. Um, but Smith Smith does seem to have incredible confidence. I just think this is a I think this is a tough matchup for him. Yeah, he he talks as if he's like confident that he's going to shock the world. And look, if he can pull this off, great man. It, it'll be a good story. It'll be interesting to watch. I, I think see. the odds are crazy, but. The, the odds are pretty wild, and, and honestly, it makes you kind of consider because in our in our in our bets at plus three eighty, Anthony Smith at least that's what I have written down here. Um, I don't know how recent that is. You know, you're gonna. No, it's crazy. It's points. crazier now. Sorry. It's oh, you know, he plus plus four twenty five. Oh wow, yeah, yeah, it went, went pretty high up there. So yeah, you you get three points for an Anthony Smith pick, um, and there's a cha- he has a higher, way higher chance than those odds suggest to be to be fair. Um, again, Magomed Ankalaev doesn't have a high percentage of, uh, t- like, I think something like 25% takedown accuracy. And, you know, he'll go for a few throughout a fight, but is it really, is he really committing to it? Is it because he's trying to stay safe? Is it because he's not trying to get tired? I still think there are holes that are that are kind of viewable there. Plus, he got hurt by Diego Santos in his last matchup, even though he won that decision. So, you know, Anthony Smith can can crack occasionally. So, Smith has a much higher chance of the out. So, I'm, I'm in agreement with you there. What is your first pick, brother? You know, I guess I'm going to go with the other big, uh, the big favorite, the young Ecuadorian fighter, Michael Morales, uh, who showed us he's got pretty dope hands. He's taking on UFC newcomer Adam uh, Fugit. Fugit. We'll guess this is pronounced. Who, you know, would be a three point shot at the plus 450, but. In the tapes, in the video that I, in the video that I watched, I I didn't see anything that made me feel like he was, you know, he was special versus what we saw from Morales against fighters like, you know, against Trevin Giles, where he looks like a legit, like a legitimate prospect to, to check out who could very easily this time next year be vying for a top 10 spot. Yeah. Um, here's the thing about Fugit. Like he is a ex- fairly experienced guy considering the 82 record. He's got a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. He can crack, man. He has, has some power. If you're going to let him hit you, he can hurt you. Michael Morales can be cracked, but I agree with you. I, I think he's a pretty solid prospect. The guy I, I, is a solid wrestler. He's a, also, I believe, a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, but we saw him crack in his last fight, and he knocked out Trevin Giles, who's a really good fighter, who was coming down from 185 pounds, right? Maybe his chin was compromised. Maybe that was a factor, but as soon as Trevin Giles got aggressive and moved forward with a combo, man, did he get face-planted. It was it was really lovely by Michael Morales for his UFC debut. Super impressive stuff. He is 13-0. He's on the come-up. I mean, if you look at the records of a lot of the guys that he fought, not exactly something to write home about. I think the best record he had was 9-3 and on Contender Series, but prior to Contender Series, 8-5, and 6-5 and were his best two opponents. Everybody else was 2-0, and 2-3, and 0-0, 1-2, and etc. So, so, you know, he he still has some some figuring out to do. He's still got... Uh, some rawness to get rid of as he matures as a fighter, but I think Fugit is the kind of opponent that he should be able to get it done against. But again, Fugit, I mean, you know, got submitted in the fr- uh, got submitted fairly quickly by Nick Maximov in a grappling match, but he was holding top position when it happened. So crazier things have certainly happened. Um, I just feel like Morales' wrestling is going to be too much, and his stand up is going to be too much. I agree with you on this one. My next pick is going to be in the matchup where I feel like there's a chance the underdog can come through, but I- I'm going to go into the Dracar Close Hafa Garcia matchup. 
here's the thing about Close, what concerns me about him, right? He's a solid guy. He was up there with Benil Dariush, kind of piecing him up there for a little while before he got caught by Dariush, who, who you know, has, has figured out a way to persevere through moments where his chin is failing him. Um, Close had that weird incident with Jeremy Stevens, where Stevens pushed him out the way in and, like, caused... Um, I forget the term for it, Nick. Where I mean, whiplash. Whiplash, right? Like, like dude's got, like, neck issues. He he apparently had dizzy spells and all of that kind of thing. That was from a push, man. So there's some concern there, to be honest. Um, hard to be super confident against. Uh, a guy in Rafa Garcia who's really capable, right? He beat Jesse Runson, who's got a huge win in his UFC debut. He beat Natan Levy, who's considered a pretty solid prospect. Granted, he lost to Gritz, uh, Chris Gritzmeiker and Nazar Hakpros. Prior to that, those pressure fighters got him. Jogar Close is a pressure fighter, but I do think that um, Garcia's kind of developed past that point. I, I do still think Jogar Close is a bigger man. He's going to be he- hitting heavier. He's been focused on power punching, and it's shown in those last two fights, even in that loss against Benil Dariush, whereas, you know, you could argue he almost had pillow hands prior to that. Uh, you know, his, his performance against Brandon Jenkins, who took it on short notice, it wasn't on his level, to be fair. He fucking just pieced him up, just touched that guy up at will and got him out of there early in the second round. I, I think he should be able to do well against Hoffa Garcia. It's probably going to be a decision, though. I'm with you on that. Oh, boy, this will probably get me in trouble. Uh, I'm going to go I'm gonna go with the main event. And I'm not only, not only going to go with the main event, but I need me some underdog points. And at plus, at plus 240, what do I get? You get two points if she wins. Just two? What do I get? What's what's the barrier for three? 250, Nicholas. So close. Oh, man. I know. And so she's not, close. If she's not 250 anywhere? Uh, no, I checked. Mm. I'm trying to make the same okay. pick, Nicolai. Yeah, well, listen. Juliana Pena did shock the world last time. But Amanda Nunes looked off. And I wonder if at this weight, if at 135, she's... Hit, hit a bit of an Anderson Silva-type wall. And I wonder if Juliana Pena is her Chris Weidman. Um, Pena's going to come into this fight really confident. Uh, we know that she can take a shot, you know, uh, from Nunez. And we know that she can get her down. And I just... Psychologically, maybe Nunez over, overcomes. But I just... I don't know the way, the way that Pena won. I think that like can can do something to a fighter, and Nunes showed some some vulnerability. I don't know what was going on, you know, for her, but she got she got stung, she got hurt, she gave up, um, and Pena's had nothing to do for the last year but some like increase her self belief and. Her conviction that she's the she's the best in the world. Amanda Nunes has to take the belt away from her, and I, I don't know, man. I feel like the the momentum, uh, and I feel like there's more knowns about Pena right now. So I, it sounds crazy, but I think for me it's worth the it's worth the two point gamble. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm there with you. Um, I was hoping that Julia Penny would be a plus two fifty. I would have picked her. Maybe as my second pick, I would have picked her instead of Jakar Close if that was the case. I just feel like Amanda Nunez, if you really look at her recent record, like when was the last time she looked really, really good against a good opponent, right? She she ran through Megan Anderson. Megan Anderson is not a quality opponent. Let's not kid ourselves. To be fair, she did run through her immediately, right? Felicia Spencer, 
you know, five round decision. Felicia Spencer's a tough girl, but you know, that's the kind of person you should be able to put away as the goat. Jermaine Duran to me, man. Everybody expected her to slice right through her on the ground. Slice right through her, maybe even standing. We've seen Durandamy have really close fights standing with people on par with Amanda Nunes. Amanda Nunes kept taking her down, and she got tired. And because she was still the better grappler, she was able to continue to dominate that fight. But she got exhausted in that fight, right? Holly Holm, she knocked her out. Chris Cyborg, she knocked out in the first rounds, right? What would have happened if that, those fights had gone deeper, I wonder, right? Those actual high-level opponents. What would have happened? I remember, by the way, you picked Holly Holm back in the day. Who the fuck knows what would have happened if that fight had gone into the third, fourth, fifth rounds? Not, a, not that Holly Holm's a big finisher, right? But but you got to wonder, man, where is she at this point? She talked about how prior to the first Juliana Pena fight, she was planning on leaving ATT. I wonder what happened there. But you know what she did? She started her own gym. And I have no fucking idea who's training her. I'm looking at pictures of her post-training. I have no idea who she's training with. I've never seen any of those people before in my life. Doesn't seem like a high-level team, right? Um, I feel like this is, yeah, this is prime time for Juliana Pena. Amanda Nunes gave up in that last fight, Nick. I rewatched the fight, and Juliana Pena wasn't even close to locking in that submission. I mean, arguably close, I guess, but she didn't lock in the submission, and Amanda Nunes tapped out. Amanda Nunes expected to slice through her to just dominate her, and Juliana Pena is not the type to just go away easily. Yeah, she can be dominated in positions, but she's going to persevere, she's going to push through tough moments, and she's going to take advantage of an opportunity, and Amanda Nunes gave her that opportunity. Juliana Pena could do no wrong throwing three straight shots in that fight, and Amanda Nunes just kept running right headfirst into those straight shots. That jab was working for Juliana Pena. It wasn't a complex jab, there wasn't a whole lot of feints, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of setup to it, it was just consistent jabs and jab crosses, and that worked. Not only did it buzz Amanda Nunes, but she lost heart. She lost the will to keep fighting. And then Juliana Pena gets this takedown pretty cleanly on Amanda Nunes and starts setting up the choke. Amanda Nunes taps. Where in the world is this girl in her life right now? It doesn't seem good. At these kinds of odds against somebody who did that to her last time, against somebody who gave up uh, in Amanda Nunes in that fight. And look, I say gave up. It's okay to get caught in a submission. But when you try to find your way out of a fight as the GOAT, right, like... That is concerning, is what I'm saying. It's okay to give up. This is a this is a fight, and you want out of there, you should get out of there. That's fine, but it's just not the kind of thing that that bodes well for a fighter's future, right? A fighter needs to be delusional in their belief in themselves. And Amanda Nunes being the quote unquote goat is far from it. It seems like right now. So I, I'm in agreement with you. I think Juliana Pena is still hungry as hell, given that a lot of people are not giving her full credit for that win, and she's working her ass off with the same team she's always been with. Whereas Amanda Nunes started from scratch in her own team with a bunch of people that nobody's ever heard of. Um, I'm not going to be a believer in that. I, I expect Juliana Pena to to probably walk away with the win here. Tough to be super confident given the dynamics. And we've seen Juliana Pena get submitted by freaking Jermaine Durandamy. And we saw Amanda Nunes dominate her. Well, not dominate, but at least control her on the ground in that first round. So Amanda Nunes has the skill if she has the conditioning. But does she have the conditioning? Is this wake-up going to be easy? I mean, she looks like she has abs like she's never had before, but... But maybe she got a great nutritionist, but are her coaches solid? Um, is her heart in the right place? Is she focused on fighting or is she focused on, on her family more, right? And it's okay to be focused on your family. In fact, she should be focused on her family. It's just hard to be a really successful, super high-level fighter when you're investing a lot of time in your, into your family at the same time. And she's a family woman, and I give her props for that. I just I don't know, I don't know where she is in her life right now, and I don't see a whole lot of elements of confidence. She left the best team on the planet and started her own little gym in Florida. Uh, I like Juliana Penny here, too. I'm on the same page as you, brother. I think you're making the right call at the right time. My next pick is going to be in the matchup between Brandon Moreno and Kai Car France. Kai Car France, man, he has just hit a new level, dude. He is 
he like his nickname I think is Don't Blink because at any moment he could end a fight and I was making fun of him for a while there because throughout his UFC career it was quite the opposite most fights went to the decision and if there was a finish it was probably him getting finished I'm looking at his record now he had uh, how many decisions one two three four five he had seven out of his eight fights go to decision from between 2017 and 2020 including that fight against Brandon Moreno, which, by the way, Kaikara France won the first round, and then Brandon Moreno started to, you know, put it on a little bit in the second round. It was a closer second round that Brandon Moreno edged. Third round, Brandon Moreno really put it on him. It seemed like back in 2019, Kaikara France wasn't ready quite for this level. I kind of feel like he's ready for it now, man. Coming off of not only that knockout of Cody Garbrandt, which is impressive, but Cody Garbrandt's chin is questionable, right? Rob Font couldn't put Cody Garbrandt away. He did. He got that knockout over Rogerio Bontarin after getting controlled on the ground. And I think that's really the, the concern here with Brandon Moreno, who's got an excellent jab, a jab that he didn't quite have to the same level back when they fought in 2019. He has got really good takedowns. He's got a great chin, a lot of heart. He will not give up. Um, I think if Brandon Moreno uses his jab, this fight could be his, really. And he will use his jab. But is it enough? I think this version of... Askar Askar, uh, this version, excuse me, of uh, Kaikar France, who beat up Askar Askarov after a bit of a rough first round, he tends to have um, he tends to have kind of fast starts. But that one, he didn't have a fast start. He showed that he can he can run, through, walk through some tough moments, do enough damage to then do really well in that third round. It's a good sign for him for a five rounder. He doesn't have a lot of five round experience, which is where my concern is. But Brandon Moreno, he left Entram Gym, which I think is a really good high level team in Mexico. And he went to James Krause's gym, from what I understand. And Nick, James Krause is good at bringing prospects into the UFC and giving them some success. He's not championship material when it comes to like coaching, if we're going to be honest. We haven't seen him do it yet. We haven't seen him uh, bring a fighter through a really tough matchup, really, for the most part, right? Like, it's matchups that are close that he can, that, that he can kind of walk his fighter through. Um, I have concerns about the gym shift. I have concerns about that life shift. He's... He's now, I think, living in Vegas, but somehow training with, somehow training with the James Krause team, um, which and they're not located in Vegas. So, I, I think I'm going to go with the underdog Kaikar France at plus 170, two points. It's the same value as the Juliana Penny fight. Um, I, I would probably have picked Juliana Penny before Kaikar France because Brandon Moreno has the skill to win this fight. I just feel like the power that Kaikar France has, the fact that Brandon Moreno switched camps. Um, the fact that Karkar France is on this high right now and he's with this team where they're holding two titles, he can bring the interim yep. title. I think he's getting a lot of motivation, a lot of uh, a lot of positive support from his team, hopefully from his country. Um, I think Karkar France has what it takes to potentially win this fight. If he does, it'll be a close decision. And the reason he will have won this fight is because, I mean, Brandon Moreno's chin has been tagged a few times. He's been dropped several times over the last little while, right? And that's really the concern where he went from not getting knocked down almost at all to getting knocked down several times by by Figueredo, Kaikara France has the power to knock him out is what we've been seeing late, knock him down, excuse me, is what we've been seeing lately. And I think that might edge him on the scorecards. To me, that's worth two points. Um, if I see anything leading up to the weigh-in that might make me change my mind, I'll change my pick. But I'm going to take Kaikara France for two points here. Interesting. Um, I was, I was, we were, we're very much in sync on this card. I was considering the same pick. Um, I like it. It's Morena, I mean... Moreno is just like he's yeah he's also just the opposite of a scorecard fighter. He does stupid shit all the time. <laughs> yeah, he's really really good, but he is he takes insane amounts of risks that you don't see from city kickboxing guys who you know I think to to the fighter have uh, 
have really good fight IQ and situational awareness. Um, I think that I think Kai Carpenter could probably bait that bait him into mistakes. Um, but I, love, I mean, I love Moreno. It's going to be an interesting fight. Definitely excited to see it. I don't know how I feel about it being interim, but I just don't like interim titles. Period. That whole thing is weird. Yeah. I assume it's because Figueredo uh, changed management and started demanding more money and actual pay per view points, and and I think that the UFC is playing hardball with him, like they did with Francis Ngannou. This is what they do, right? This is the kind of bullshit yeah. that they pull. So I am for my next pick. Uh, I'm going to stick on the main card. And listen, I know it's in Texas. I know that he did have a victory seven months ago against Chris Dawkins. It doesn't, I don't think, really pose much of a threat to a guy of Lewis's size and stature. But I'm going to pick um, Sergey Pavlovich over over Derek Lewis. Pavlovich hurts dudes with his hands, and Lewis has been quitting uh, lately. He's been he's been giving up in his fights. And Pavlovich has also been tagged by big dudes. The only person to finish him was on the ground, ground and pound by Alistair Overeem. And I don't think with Lewis's back and his um, stamina that I, I don't, I mean, I don't think Derek Lewis is going to try to wrestle his way to victory here. I could be wrong, um, but I don't, I don't think he will. And I, if he tried, I don't think he's going to have a lot of success. Um, and I just, the kind of durability that he had in that in that fight against uh, Volkov, for example, where he can he can wait and he can eat it until he's ready. For where that, he was killed you know, over for half the, the fight. Shot. Yeah, yeah, where he can land the big shot. I think it's gone. I don't think I don't think Derek I don't think Derek Lewis is still around at the point in the fight um, to make that comeback. And I don't think this is I don't think this is an easy fight for him. This is a big, strong. Uh, Greco-Roman wrestler, he's gonna he's gonna tire Lewis out, and he's got the and I think he's got the the power to uh, make Lewis want to get out of there. Yeah, I think I think you're right about Derek Lewis having been quitting lately. It seems like I still get the inkling that that tied to a Valsa knockout was more just him like deciding like I don't want to do this anymore. Like this is a lot of shots. I'm just gonna fall to the floor, and it was called, and that was in his hometown, and then he lost his hometown fight back at UFC 265 when he was fighting for an interim title that should not have been against Cyril Gaon. Cyril Gaon doesn't finish a lot of guys, man. And he just, like, he got touched up, and then he just kind of went down and decided he doesn't want any part of this. Um, I think Pavlovich probably has the power to make Lewis want to quit. There's a chance Lewis lands a bomb. We've all seen it. We've seen Pavlovich get knocked out by, over, you know, a, a shell of Overeem. So it's certainly Yeah, but, 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 but ground and pound. Like, it was, Overeem was always a good, he had become a good wrestler and was using it more. That is true, but but you know the fact that his chin can be shut off. Yeah. Right. And to be fair, you're on the ground on your back with Overeem dropping all of his body weight into a right hand. Almost anybody's, you know, most people will go out, but the fact is that his chin isn't like untouchable. And and you know, is that I just, and did you watch did you watch the tape on it? Because I don't know if it was like a roll on his back and just covering up, on una- like unable to answer it, or if he got like knocked out. You know what I mean? You know what the. I'm going to rewatch this quickly. I remember it being like just a couple of heavy right hands that took him out, but it could be like a cover-up thing, which I don't know if that helps, right? Because that means that Pavlovich gave up. To be fair, his UFC debut against well, the best opponent he'd ever fought. Um, let, me, let me quickly see if I can there's find that. Give, there's giving up, and then there's just not knowing what to do. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, no, like, I, do, especially... I, do, I do hear that. Um, and uh, let me, let me I'm, qu- I'm quickly going to watch this live as we talk, Nick. 
Okay, See I'll if do. I can catch this. So Overeem got a trip takedown. Got on top with Pavlovich kind of uh, uh, kind of keeping his legs up. Overeem landed several hammer fists. And yeah, Pavlovich, it was actually more of a more of a cover-up, I don't want to do this anymore kind of thing, which is concerning, to be fair. Granted, it was several fights. He just kind of turns over, but he had nowhere to turn, kind of making it clear to the referee he wants no part in this. Um, yeah, it was more of a give-up than a knockout thing, which... Um, you know, Derek Lewis, to be fair, against Derek Lewis, that might be the better factor because Derek Lewis is probably not going to get to that top position, but he is scary from top position. He has scary ground and pound. So absolutely possible if Derek Lewis ends up uh, after, you know, after a bit of a tussle on the top position, he has serious damage. It's one of his best positions in my opinion. So it's possible, but I agree with you. I've got Sergei Pavlovich in that matchup as well. Um, I'm going to pick a different heavyweight fight that I'm more confident in than this one, Nick. I'm going to pick... In the fight between Dantel Mays and Hamdi Abdel Wahab. Hamdi Abdel Wahab is a Henzo Gracie guy. Um, I haven't been there to Henzo's in maybe since the pandemic. So, I, you know, I haven't seen him around by any means. But, you know, he's supposed to be a, uh, an Egyptian, like, Olympic wrestler. But Egypt doesn't have a legit Olympic wrestling team. I've seen his couple of fights. He is extremely raw. He has some power. And against guys that are willing to just fall down and die... You know, he'll hit him once, and then they'll fall down, and then he'll hit him a couple more times. Referee will wave it off. But anybody, like Dante Almeida is a giant. He's super athlete, right? He's extremely athletic. He's a guy that wasn't ready for the UFC when he first entered, but he's learned on the job. I think Greg Jackson's, the benefit for him at Greg Jackson's is that there aren't a lot of guys that Greg uh, Greg Jackson and um, John Wink are going to be able to, uh, like, they don't have to focus on 200 high-level fighters anymore. This is about as high level between him and like Holly Holm. It's about as high level as they have of fighters right now. And I think they're investing into this guy. I can see particularly, um, although there's concerns about this too, Winklejohn kind of focusing on Mace because he's athletic. Um, he's, he's probably really loyal and really respectful to Winklejohn. And he's shown that in his last couple of fights against Hamdi Abdel Wahab level athletes who are more experienced, more crafty veterans, right? He just just been destroying mofos, getting takedowns, getting to top position, pounding him out. He can probably take Hamdi down if he wants to. Um, he can certainly knock him out of the feet, in my opinion. I, I think he can touch him up almost at will. So I like Dante Mays. This line moved from like something like minus 120 to minus 170. So I would invest some money into him now, dude. I think this is a good deal. I think that Hamdi has no business being here. He's also just kind of a warm body that the UFC took on short notice. He was he was getting booked in Canada like a month or two ago for a thousand bucks a fight and now he's now he's over here in the UFC on short notice against Dontel Mays. Guy has no business being there. He's like three and hours something. <clears throat> I think Dontel Mays just destroys this guy. Now Why having said that supposed to be a good wrestler. Uh well because there were uh, to me the Drucker Close and Ankalaev uh, uh matchups were were worth more and the Kai Carl France two point pick was worth a, a swing earlier than this. Um and also because these are heavyweights and because who knows? Hamdi's a wrestler. Maybe he'll get top position. We've seen Dante May struggle from his back. So, like, there's a chance here. I just I just think, like, the experience level is universes apart. And I, don't, I think Hamdi's uh, Olympic, quote-unquote, wrestling pedigree is overrated. I was in the Olympics. You were for what, exactly? Just being a shitty podcast co-host. How, is that, how, how, does, how do you get accepted as being, like, the worst of the worst in the Olympics? Um... My next pick. These are all. These are all tough. Yeah, I think. Okay, so I'm gonna go with what I think is gonna be the uh, the action fight of 
the night. Um, I'm going to pick Drew Dober to uh, probably win a decision, possibly knock out um, the, the very tough Rafael Alves, um, who's, you know, coming off of like seven months ago, uh, choking out uh, the, <laughs> the UFC's newest John Fitch, Mark Diakisi. Um <laughs> <laughs> Who would have thought? Who would have thought that this that well? like flashy Brit, flashy British kickboxer who would have middling success would be like, you know what? I'm just going to turn into John Fitch, and now it's one, one like two fights in a row. <laughs> getting getting roughed uh, up by by a few legit guys will will make you want to change your style. But he's done it success. He's done it successfully so far. He's well, like, against no against this level of opposition, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. like Demir no Hansik, more that's, kicks. Come on, <laughs> hope you hope you like defense. Yep, yep, we're yep. going over there. Uh, yep. Anyway. Drew Dober is one of, uh, you know, this guy's not going to be champ, I don't think. Um, already 33 years old. Definitely. He's had t- he's had trouble against uh, the highest level guys, but he's been in there with them, with the Brad Riddells, with the, it was the Islam Makachevs, with the Benil Daryushas, but he hasn't passed any of those tests. Um, that said, he's he's beat, uh, you know, he's he's beat guys on the periphery of top 15. Um, and in his last fight, you know, they brought him in against this stud, this this uh, guy Terrence McKinney, who was knocking everybody out. And he and Drew and Drew Dober got hurt, but he hung on and then get, like gave it to McKinney and got the finish. Um, Alvis is tough, but I don't see I don't see Drew Dober um, likely um, likely to be submitted. And I think he's going to have uh, I think he's going to be the bigger man. Um, with more power, uh, it's just a big, thick, strong kid for 155, and I think uh, I think he's just gonna I think he's gonna do more damage. I won't be surprised if he gets a finish, um, but I think that I think Dober is a bit of a of a step up. It's a pretty big step up, I think, uh, for Alves after beating. Um, I'm sorry, after losing to Demir uh, Ismagulov and then and then beating Diakisi. You're on, you're on mute. The thing about uh, Alvarez, uh, the thing about Alves is that at plus one eighty, I think he might be worth an investment because Drew Dober has been kind of in a rough spot lately. Even in that win that he got over um, over what's the Terrence McKinney, he like had yeah. to survive a really rough moment, right? And Alves yeah, is be- going to probably give him a rough moment to have to survive, especially if Dober's chin is not quite what it used to be. He took some power shots from Brad Riddell. Got got dropped by Terrence McKinney, which was about four 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 and a half months ago, right? So not exactly like a crap load of time to recover. Um, he had to survive, and then he got Terrence McKinney out of there once he was tired. Drew Dober has the skills to beat this level of opposition, but Rafael Alba is super dangerous. At plus one eighty, I would have considered him for two points. All else being equal, I'm probably edging Drew Dober. But like you know, Alba's win over uh, over Diacasi like aged pretty well. Not only that, but in his UFC debut, he fought like super prospect who doesn't really make mistakes in Demir Ismagulov, and he like really put him in trouble early, man. I think he I think he hurt him on the feet, and I think he even had that guillotine and he was close to finishing it at one point. I could see that moment happening for Drew Dober. Drew Dober doesn't have great takedown defense. He is tough, but but uh, you know his chin can be cracked. He he's developed a lot of power into his game. He's put some speed into his game, but I just feel like an opportunistic finisher like Alves. That guy has a shot here. He's training, let me see, with MMA Masters. Not a bad team. Florida team. Not a bad sign for him. I know Drew Dober trains at Elevation, and that's to his credit. 
But given the odds, I probably would have picked uh, Alves, even though, uh, you know, all else being the same, if we're going just by the pick, I'm going to edge uh, by to Drew Dober by a small margin. My next pick, Nick, is going to be in the matchup between Alexander Pantoja and Alex Perez. I actually think, like, both of these guys are pretty high-level pretty high level flyweights both are have shown like that they can get rid of competition on the come up even that top 10 range level right but they're going to falter against the very best they're going to get roughed up against the very best uh we saw um we saw uh alex perez coming off of now that title defense uh, the, the title shot that he got against davidson figueredo didn't work out so well and he's got a bunch of fights canceled in the meantime he had a match Snell matchup an Askar Askarov matchup, match Schnell again, match Schnell again, match Schnell again, an Askar Askarov matchup. Six bouts were canceled and postponed. Something might be going on with him, so there's definitely some uh, concern. To be fair, uh, Perez missed weight against Schnell one of those times. Askarov withdrew the last time they were booked uh, for earlier this month, actually. So it's not all his fault that these bouts were rescheduled. Um, there was an Askarov injury earlier on, too. Um, you know, Perez only withdrew out of one of those two fights, but there's some concern there. Like, how is he on money? Right. He hasn't fought since 2020, and it was a rough night for him where he got submitted in the first round. Prior to that, he got a few, few put a few wins in a row together. Joseph Benavidez pounded him out, right? So th- he can be finished on the ground is what I'm saying. He can be finished on the feet. The people that he's beaten, Jose Formiga, Jordan Espinosa, and Mark De La Rosa, not the highest level of opposition, right? Whereas Alexander Pantoja has shown that, like, that he can get rid of a Brandon Royval. That's impressive. Granted, Brandon, Brandon Royval's, you know, less likely to get an opportunistic finish over Pantoja. He can get rid of a Manal Kep. Granted, super close fight. Could have arguably gone either way. He he did well against Manal Kep. He did lose to Askar Askarov, and that is concerning. He lost to Davis and Figueredo, which is understandable, but he went to decision with Figueredo. He toughed out moments against Figueredo. For that reason, I'm edging Pantoja, but this plus 150 range for Alex Perez has got me enticed. Perez is a good pressure fighter. He's got pretty good hands. He's got good wrestling. Can be finished on the ground. I think I'm going to have to edge uh, Pantoja because I think he is going to be harder hitting on the feet. Um, and he's going to be more dangerous on the ground. And I tend to pick the guys that, are, that have the better ground game and, and the better uh, stand-up over the guy that has that is the better wrestler. But I think Alex Perez, if he's in a good place, he's got the team. He's got the skills to absolutely win this fighter. Plus 150, I'm, I'm seriously considering uh, maybe changing my pick at some point in the next day or two if it stays in that range well i hope you can get a hold of me if you want to change it because i may just ghost you <laughs> um for my uh thank you for that that thoughtful breakdown you're welcome it's man. much appre- it's much appreciated by me and our listener oh our listener um, that's funny <laughs> <laughs> thanks mom do you think the um, one, do you think the one listener that we have uh that we have left is that guy that left a review about you being an idiot under my next pick I'm going to be looking at the, the welterweight. We got a welterweight scrap that should be pretty fun against the overachieving as of late Alex Morano and the heavy-handed fucking smasher, Matt Semelsberger. Um, good, I mean, good and interesting fight. I Tough tough one to call. I think this will be very fun to watch. Um, Morano's... Murano has been finished a couple of times, and Semmelsberger seems to find chins. Um, you know, and he and if he, he's one of those guys. I know it's against lesser competition, and he couldn't find, you know, he, he couldn't find the chin against Chaos Williams, who's a, who's proven himself to be a pretty, uh, you know, a pretty damn good fighter. Who I, you know, I think I would have given him that Randy that Randy Brown fight was super close, but. 
Let's put it this way. Chaos Williams is no joke, so a, a decision lost to him, not a big deal. But I'm not sure that Murano's chin can handle the Semmelsberger heat. Um, and I'm, I don't think that's, that's a puncher's chance. I just think it's a, over the course of this fight, Matt Semmelsberger's going to touch Alex Murano. And I don't think that Murano's going to deal with that uh, particularly well. I think that Semmelsberger's got that kind of, uh, that kind of power. And I don't think Murano's like striking defense is anything is anything to write home about. Um, I mean, good you know, good all around MMA fighter, but uh, I'm gonna go with uh, Semmelsberger here. So since 2014, Morono was finished once, and that was via first round knockout by Chaos Williams, who we know has insane, insane power. Especially if you don't realize but, he has the same power. Well, so but Semmelsberger has just as much power. Um, I, I don't think he does. Where where has he shown that? Yeah, he knocked out Martin Sano and Jason Witt, who has a terrible chin. But he went to the decision. One with shot, like basically Williams. one shot knockouts though. With yeah, that right but, hand. yeah, but against like what level of competition? Guys that don't really belong here, right? Like Jason Witt, to be fair, skill wise belongs here, he just doesn't have the chin to be to be able to compete <clears throat> against the heavy hitter that lands on him early. Whereas whereas, you know, Alex Morono, seven and two in his last nine fights in the UFC. Some of those wins Pretty notable, pretty pretty respectable wins, right? Uh, AJ, AJ Fletcher. Gave, uh, I don't know about that. AJ Fletcher gave Semmelsberger hell back in March. Like AJ Fletcher, who's barely a UFC level fighter, who I think took it on show notice, was supposed to get just smashed. You're out of your, you're out of your mind. The guys that the mm-hmm. uh, interject here. I know what you're trying to talk about. Please. Whatever, fuck you. Um, Alex Morano's wins you're talking about are David Zawada, Mickey Gall, Donald Cerrone, who is totally done. Reese McKee was one of the early victims of, of Hazmat Shumaya, who's not in the UFC anymore. Where where are these fights? I mean, they look at, okay, Max Griffin in 2019. Okay. But, like, outside of that, I don't know what you're – So what, I, would I don't put, know what is what, – what's the flash? That, that, job, that Josh Berkman win? So, hold on. I would put Keenan Song, Zach Otto, Max Griffin, Donald Cerrone – David Zawada and Mickey Gall over the the two wins that Semmelsberger has in the UFC, uh, the three wins: AJ Fletcher, Martin Sano, and Jason Witt, and Carlton, Carlton Minnis. These are low level, barely entry level UFC fighters. <clears throat> well, it's funny how your voice gave up on you when you because God knows you're wrong. <laughs> he took your, well, Nicolai, he took your voice away. Should we should we do like a, I don't know about a shoey. Because I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to get beer all over my floor. But should we do like a beer bet for this one? Early next episode, as soon as we start recording, one of us has to down a uh, a Modelo or something. All right. It should be like I, I'm I'm not super convicted here. I what I'm convicted about is that Alex Morono has more craft, more experience, a better team, and he's beaten what better about, opposition. Not a Modelo, like one of the, one of those like hot, one of those like tall, tall like canned micheladas. Jeez. Well, it's, it's tricky because do, if we do it in the morning and then we, we got to go to work, that might be interesting for, for either and both of us. I, I, work, I work from home, man. I can do whatever that, I want. That must, be, that must be really nice, Nick. And, and by the way, you're, you're part of a kind of a major startup. You would think maybe sobriety would help throughout the day, but I, I hear you. I'm going to need a nap after, after chugging one of those beers. But in any case, Nick, let, let's make a beer bet. Early in the next episode, we will, uh, we will account for this. Uh, it's got to be chugged, Nick. It's got to be quick. I don't know if I've ever chugged a beer. I'm sure you have in your day. But we're going to do this, Nikolai. This should be fun. Um, yeah, look, I, I disagree. I do I feel strongly about it? No. I think Alex Morono, if he was a slightly bigger favorite, I would have picked him earlier. But uh, you may have that pick, bro, that boy. I think this is, is this the first one that we're disagreeing on in this event? 
Yeah. I think it is. We we surprised we're on the same page with a couple of underdogs outside of this one. So my next pick is going to be oh you already picked sorry you already picked that one. My next pick is going to be in the matchup between Ji Young Kim and Jocelyn Edwards. Oh, can't wait to see what you do here. Actually, yeah, Jocelyn Edwards took this fight on short notice. Uh, I think it was Maria Agapova that was supposed to fight Ji Young Kim. And if you look at Ji Young Kim's record, right, like yes, yeah, she's riding a three-fight losing streak. That's not a good look. Doesn't look good on paper. But look at the opposition, right? She, uh, by the way, got screwed against Priscilla Cachoeira. Um, I think 13 out of 14 MMA decisions yeah, uh, journalists gave it to uh, Kim. Molly McCann had a pretty nip-and-tight back-and-forth fight with, and Molly McCann has shown that she is, you know, she's pretty capable, at least against really low-level opposition. Alexa Grasso was a pretty competitive fight. I think they were like 10 strikes apart at the end of that night. Right, a really competitive fight there. Again, now her win over Nadia Kasim, who is not a UFC-level fighter. Melinda Fabian, Justine Kish, who is a good fighter, in my opinion, right? Melinda Fabian and Nadia Kasim, she lost Anthony and Shevchenko. That's concerning, really concerning. Jocelyn Edwards taking this on short notice. Doesn't have great wrestling. She can get outworked if somebody's putting a high pace on her. And Ji Young Kim tends to put a high pace on there. I like Ji Young Kim in this one, especially with uh, Edwards taking this on short notice. Edwards coming off of a win over Romana Pascal, who is barely UFC level. And it was still a very competitive fight, and, and she was hurt by Pascal once or twice. So, you know, not great signs. Um, I, I think Ji Young Kim has faced a higher level of opposition, and she should be able to put the numbers on Jocelyn Edwards. It'll be nip and tuck. It'll be super close. Could be a controversial decision, but I like Kim here. Also, just real quick about Alex Morono. If this is a competitive fight where both guys land a bunch of shots in Dallas, who do you think gets the decision? Just throwing it out there. Matt Settlesberger. <laughs> I actually also had Kim in this fight. I had yeah. not been very impressed with Edwards, and Kim definitely deserved that. that to be honest, given your track good. record with women's fights, now it makes me want to pick Edwards. What's I'm your next still pick? good at picking women's fights. That's, <laughs> how many? How many? What do we have left? Uh, we have two fights left. We have the um, Ihor Patorio versus Nicolau Nagamariano, and we have Orion Koshi yeah. versus Blood Diamond. And, and one of them is going to be a uh, what's it called? Not a real pick. A backup pick. Oh, is it an odd number of fights? I think you're right. Yeah, this is the last it pick is. of the night then. Oof. What you got, bro? Um, I don't like either of these fights. Okay, but uh, I'm going to go with... I mean, odds-wise, there's nothing, there's nothing really good to pick up here. I mean, Blood Diamond's at plus 150, but... Um... Yeah, I'm gonna go with uh, I don't I don't know this guy, Stan Orion Kowski. <laughs> Orion Kowski, I, I think that's how you say his name. Uh, oh, he's a, he's a, he, oh I know this guy. He's a Tam fighter. Uh, yeah, he's the guy that got beat up by by Philip Rowe. Yeah. Um, After a good first round, yeah. Yeah, that was you know MMA UFC debut. They put him in with a guy with a, you know. Fake name. Um, Philip Rose, a fake name? That's funny. Oh, Blood no, Diamond no, is no. a fake name. No, Blood Diamond. Yeah. Wait. Yeah, Blood Diamond's a fake name. Um, <laughs> I have a feeling, just looking quickly at this, he's got Rune choke loss. Um, he's a New Zealand guy. Is, is he a city kickboxing? What do you know about Blood Diamond? Blood Diamond is a city kickboxing guy, yes. 
interesting. He's got a bunch of uh, a bunch of kickboxing fights. He's known for flashy stuff, spinning and side kicks and that sort of thing. Um, and uh, and he was beat in his UFC debut by, to be fair, like I think he's a I think he's a Henzo Gracie black belt. I think Jeremiah Wells is a Henzo Gracie black belt. I'm not positive about that, but he's definitely a, a Henzo Gracie Philly guy. Trains with uh, trains with that Philly crew with uh, Paul Felder or you know Paul Felder when he makes it through there with who's that prospect at 170 who's fighting Bilal Muhammad. He's fighting that guy. Can't remember his name. I mean, I'm sorry. He's he trains with that guy. Um, hmm, interesting. You take your time. It's not like we're recording. Yeah, I gotta go. No, fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. This is a tough one. This is a tough one. The Tam, the Tam guy who lost against the guy whose who's other whose teammates are on the card. I'm gonna go. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna stick with uh, Koski. Yeah, I mean, I think Orion Koshi either wins this in the first round or Blood Diamond makes it through the first round and then starts to take over as Koshi gets tired. Um, and for plus 150, I probably would have taken a rider on on uh, Diamond. But if I was you, like, given given the point disparity. But, you know, Koshi has the wrestling, and he won his Contender Series fight by Crucifix. Uh, and that's that's a position that could probably work well against Blood Diamond. So, you know, again, it, it's a pick em fight where... Where you know if it makes it past five minutes, Blood Diamond could just do some damage. Uh, the last matchup is between Ihor Pretoria and Nikola Negomarianu. You got any leans on that one? No. I'm gonna pick Nikola Negomarianu because he uh, has UFC experience. He you know he's coming off a win that he probably didn't deserve, but uh, Ihor Pretoria is one of those guys that like if you look at his record, it just looks a little bit funny. Um, some pretty low level guys. Uh, there, he has amateur fights in 2019, even though he'd been a pro of like 14 or 15 fights before then. It's, it's like a weird thing. And, and his amateur fights, which uh, l- l- let me quickly look back on his record. I, I noticed this when I was looking at his record earlier. Ihor um, Pretoria, 20 and 2 overall record, right? And he has <clears throat> three amateur fights. They're all supposed to be the same event Bukovel Free Fight Cup 9, but one of them is on a different date. And that's the one that he lost. It's, it's the weirdest. Like, is it, a, is it an amateur fight because he lost it and he wanted it on, on an amateur record? Yeah, it happened in 2019, even though he'd been a pro for a while until then. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't, I'm not much of a believer in this guy, even though he got a win on Contender Series. I, I think that Nicola has a good chin, and he's going to keep going. Like, he, he, he's developed his conditioning to the point where he can keep swinging in that second and third round, and I'm not convinced that, uh, that Pretoria is going to be able to do that. Um, I, I, you know what? I hope one of my picks falls out so I can take this one instead. I, I wouldn't mind it. I think there's some value on Negro Mariano, who at least as of a couple of days ago was an underdog. I'm not sure if he still is. He is still an underdog. Yeah, I would, I would play some money on that guy for sure. Plus one ten. As far as the best for this event, Nick, here are my recommendations. Uh, Ji Young Kim by decision prop might not be a bad idea. That way you're not putting her into a parlay and taking that risk on a close women's fight. Uh, Nicola Negro Mariano, I think is worth is worth a bet at plus one ten. I would say Drakkar Close can be part of a parlay or so. Um, Michael Morales, if you want to like add him to a parlay, maybe. But minus 600 is just like a lot of chalk, man. Um, I think Dantel Mays is worth a bet. As, the, as that line keeps moving in his favor, I think he's going to be on a different athleticism level and experience level. Um, Alex Morono, maybe at plus 135. Morono by decision. I'm not sure what that prop is worth. That might be something to consider. Uh, let me see here. Anything else? 
uh, I think Ankalaev can can kind of line up some parlays if you want to just make him kind of a last-minute addition. Sergei Pavlovich by finish, minus 125 regularly, but by finish, I'd imagine you get decent odds there. And Kaikar France and Juliana Pena's underdogs are worth investing into. Um, I would maybe put them into a couple of separate parlays that'll just really bolster up those two parlays. And maybe, and likely enough, I think one of them will come through and make that a winning parlay for you. It'll just kind of turn a, let's say, plus 160 parlay into like a plus 250 or plus 280 parlay if you add a fight, uh, you know, an underdog of this value. Um, maybe even more than that, actually, given these odds. So, so it, it might be something worth uh, a couple of parlays where you're not investing too much money into, Nick. And uh, that'll do it for me. I actually made some pretty good recommendations in the last event when it comes to betting, Nikolai. Um, just, just throwing it out there, kind of killing it, man. I'm not tracking it. Maybe I should go back to that. And I just know I'm going to catch up and I'm just going to catch up and crush you. Well, you said that to me at the end of last episode, and then I beat you again, Nick, as I tend Yeah, to because my fighters keep getting injured. I make smart picks, and then the guy's bodies explode. I mean, you you wouldn't have beaten me if that hadn't happened, and there's no guarantee. Like it's Curtis Blades. I would have, yes. Like there's not absolutely zero guarantee that Curtis Blades would have lost to Tom Aspinall, man. Like Curtis Blades looked really good early. They both looked decent early, but no, Curtis then, Blades then, looked fast. Then we were ta- I picked I picked equally as well as you. Nah, yeah, you were competitive. You did okay. <laughs> no, you, you did you did pick pretty well. Um, and and Nikolai, I do hope that you do come back. Do you have a little bit of time to cover last week's event, Nikolai, or do you have to go? Uh, I can do a few minutes. So we got UFC Fight Night Blades versus Aspinall. Unfortunately, two UFC events in a row that are marred by injury. It's unfortunate, man. We saw 15 seconds or so of this, exactly 15 seconds of this fight. And to me, it looked like Curtis Blades was about as fast as Tom Aspinall. He was landing on top Aspinall in those few moments. And the takedowns haven't even become a factor yet. So I'm intrigued. It doesn't tell us a whole lot. What it does tell us is that Blades is not behind Aspinall on the athleticism scale. And we know he's the best wrestler probably in, in UFC history, right? Who also has a game outside of wrestling. Um, uh, I'm sorry, heavyweight wrestler in UFC history as far as takedowns landed, uh, the, the conditioning, the stand-up that he's developed. Apparently, he's just doing really well in the gym standing up. So um, I, I would have I picked Curtis Blades in a rematch if they do have one. And, and if they do, it'll probably be in a while. Uh, any thoughts on that one? I still think that over time, I just I just don't believe in I don't think Blades has the chin to to be to really hang around top five at heavyweight. Um, I just feel like the two people that knocked him out can knock anybody on planet Earth out, um, and I know that Blades has been dropped a few times, so there's some concern there. I hear you. I think Aspen I think Aspinall hits really hard and has fast hands. Um, yeah, but but so does yeah, Curtis Blades for the record. But but I do hear you. Yeah, um, the and then we have. The, uh-huh. go ahead. I was just going to say Hermanson and Chris Curtis. Chris Curtis just wasn't mature enough for this situation. Um, I mean, he could have made yeah. adjustments that would have made this a really close fight at least. It, granted, he was a smaller man. He should be fighting at 170, right? Jack Hermanson's a pretty big middleweight and super crafty and experienced. Um, I, I definitely saw the openings for Jack Hermanson to win. I just didn't think that Chris Curtis would fall for that. Chris Curtis needed to cut him off, and he was kind of following him, man, like like facing Jack Hermanson's right side as he's walking toward him rather than cutting him off and meeting him head on where he can actually throw more offense and, and land some make those exchanges more more kind of two ways instead of one way Jack Manson just like touched him up a couple of times from a distance and moved laterally touched him up moved laterally and it worked it was like super simple game plan Chris Curtis got really emotional and, and uh, you know not a great look for him but he did apologize after and he did uh, he did own up to it yeah, it was sad. It was a bummer to see because Curtis is so likable and he's a very smart dude. He's great on Twitter, uh, and yeah, he just lost his cool because Hermanson wasn't running. He was 
he was sticking and moving and he was lighting him up. He was lighting a lot. When someone's run, the kind of running you're complaining about means disengaging. Like you did. He's like, landing on you, right? Yeah. Jack Romanson did not disengage. He would engage. Boom, boom, boom. It hit him three, four times and then get out of there. Like, what's he supposed to do? Hang around and have a bar fight with us with a, a guy like the notion that that fighters are supposed to meet the other guy at his strength um, is ridiculous. Well, that's the thing is that he was standing with him, right? He knew that takedowns would be difficult against him, and he did go for six takedowns. To be fair, couldn't get a second one. Yeah, he was one. standing with him. Yeah, and, but and he wasn't. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, but he wasn't. You know, he wasn't like in the pocket biting yeah, down on the mouthpiece, standing with him. Yeah, that's the thing is you get outstruck two fifty one to one twenty five. You can't complain about the fact that the fight wasn't there. You were getting hit and you couldn't hit back. Granted, you're a smaller man; it was against a much taller opponent at a weight class that you probably shouldn't be at. But like, it is silly, and I think he realizes how silly it was, and and that's to his credit because most most fighters would have probably just dug their heels into that idea. But good on Jack Hermanson. He saw he was getting beat up on Twitter too, and he was like, "All right, he's like he." But he, uh, I think, I think he's a reasonable up. guy. I don't think it was just the fact that he was getting beat up. I, I think he realized he was wrong. Like I think, like you look yeah, at the stats, he... you speak to your coaches, etc. He's yeah. got a little bit of uh, Sean Strickland in him, almost. Except Sean Strickland was, uh, you know, spoke very differently after he got terrible. Well, they trained up. together, but yeah, uh, yes, sir. And then we got Patty Pimblett, Jordan Levitt. Uh, Jordan Levitt basically had his way with Pimblett. We've seen this time and time again in every one of Pimblett's UFC fights, and prior to that. He doesn't do well early, and then he ends up getting a submission. That's what happened here. Uh, Jordan Levitt, you know, got caught, surprisingly got caught on the floor. You wouldn't have expected it. Um, and, and Pimblett, again, looked rough in the first round. He was getting controlled against the fence. He was getting taken down almost at will. I keep saying this guy doesn't have top 10 potential um, unless the UFC gives him extremely favorable matchups, and they're giving him low-level favorable matchups as of now. Um, they wanted him to get the win, and he got the win. But, I mean, what's going to happen if he faces somebody real? Like, you start shit with Taporia. And then you're sh- shit scared of him. And then the UFC keeps playing that audio of you saying, I'll never say no to a fight. You've said no to a fight. And it's with a guy that you started shit with. And you're afraid of him at one weight division below. This guy's not top level at all. But Jordan Levitt, he has enough to to beat. He does have heart though, right? He he perseveres through tough moments. He hits pretty hard. He's pretty fast. Like he's fairly athletic. He just doesn't have a good game. He doesn't have good wrestling. He I don't think he's great from bottom position. As I alluded to last week, I mentioned that, right? There's real uh, kind of risk in that in that uh, pick because he's not great from bottom position. He might end up on bottom at some point. But once he gets a dominant position on the floor and he's pretty good at getting them, he's pretty good at getting that back, uh, he tends to do really well and he tends to finish. Yeah, like, I mean, you know, he's won me over. He's a, he's a likable kid. I don't think... Uh, I don't think he's anywhere near going to be a world beater, um, but I like that he, you know, that he, he spoke out against uh, against mental illness at the end. He used the moment uh, yeah, to talk cool. about something bigger than himself, unlike his buddy and a fighter that I like. Um, oh, this is hot off the presses. Cub Swanson announces move down to bantamweight. That's the news we've been waiting for. That's um, and. Uh, <laughs> Before I before I saw that, what was oh Mo, oh yeah Molly, jeez, it's like I love Molly McCann, but like she came out like striking, oh, Jesus, just just winging shots with reckless abandon, chin forward, like not looking good at all against Hannah Goldie and getting and getting beat up a little bit because she was fighting so stupidly, right. Um, but yes, then she did, she did kind of like pull it out, but yeah, I mean, she, she, again, I, as I think I texted you or said to you, like she was 
fighting like Beth Cohea, you know, she or acting like Beth Cohea. She was, she she finished an extremely low level fighter, probably shouldn't be in the UFC, and then like you know acted acted like it meant something big. Yeah, um, I mean, Molly McCann's going to Molly McCann, and then she has like a giant fucking bottle of whiskey in her hand. Like seconds later, it's kind of crazy. <laughs> like the lifestyle between these two, between Pimlet and McCann, is is rather fascinating. But yeah. She's not a high level fighter, but she does have a pressure game. She does have will. She does have heart. She hits hard. She sits down on her punches. Yes. Uh, some of those, like a lot of those things, many women don't have at 125. She gets finishes. She's getting finishes at flyweight. Two like, in a row and pretty like fancy ones too. So, you know, th- th- there is some credit to be given to her. Like the fact that she has that kind of power. How many women are getting two knockouts in a row at this weight division? Even Shevchenko has trouble piecing together two finishes in a row. With, with, spit, with spitting back elbows. Exactly, yep. Yeah. And then Nikita Krylov, man, I told you Alexander Gustafson's done, dude. He's a fraction of his former self. Krylov just touched him up. It's the moment he touched him, the fight was basically over. Uh, Vulcan Ozdemir, Paul Craig, you were right about that one to your credit. That was good. Um, yeah, and, and to be fair, like I, I, I saw the style matchup favoring Vulcan Ozdemir. I just favored Craig's momentum. And I thought that what Craig, by the way, in my opinion, Craig won that second round. Every time he threw punches, Vulcan Ozdemir took him in the face. And they were pretty hard punches. I thought Craig I didn't won think it was. Round. I didn't think it was 30 27. I was, no, I was nervous at the. I was nervous at the decision. Right. I was and pretty. I was pretty confident that shot. based on the third, that Ozdemir would be okay. Yes. Yes. But yes. I, I did not think it was thirty twenty seven. I was prepared for a split decision. Agree, man. That that element of it like really really concerned me. Um, and Paul Craig and I thought Paul Craig was starting to take over. I thought he was going to do on that third round. He didn't. He he Paul Craig'd. You know the the other Paul Craig. There's the version of Paul Craig that gets a submission off his back after getting beat up. And then there's the other Paul Craig that just keeps flopping on his back uh, to no avail. And Volkan Ozdemir was smart enough not to stay in top position against them. Somebody finally learned this fucking lesson about this, even though we we all know that uh, Nikita Krylov is going to make some really bad IQ decisions in that MMA ring. I was right about Ludovic Klein, though, Nikolai. I told you that this pick shouldn't have been so early for you. Ludovic Klein was getting really disrespected by those odds. He would have been worth three points had you picked him, and, uh, and you took Mason Jones, and he got pieced up, man. Ludovic Klein, extremely fast, uh, really technical. And Mason Jones, we've seen him, like, you know, all this insane hype. For a guy that's one one and one, and I think I said this last week, his UFC record one one and one. He's got a loss. He's got a no contest. He's got a win over a short notice debuting opponent who wasn't really, arguably, wasn't truly prepped for that fight. Um, and then Ludovic Klein pieced him up. Ludovic Klein, who actually has experience, who actually was in a training camp with an opponent in mind, uh, really good on him, man. It's good to see him come through. At this point, like I expect, the odds makers are not going to be disrespecting him. Granted, he lost to Mike Trezano and late Nate Landwehr. It's not a great look. I'm not gonna lie, but oh, let's but, oh, hang on. The one one and one on Mason Jones. He was destroying Alan Patrick. Sure, yeah, sure, he was destroying him, but he but he did get he got pieced up by Mike Davis in his UFC debut. Ludovic Klein and Mike Davis, they're either on the same level or Klein is a level above Mike Davis. And he was getting kind of. I mean, granted, it was a fun fight to watch because because uh, you know Jones is not the type of guy to give up. And look, maybe it's a factor that Jones didn't have an actual opponent to train for. And then this fight got booked out of nowhere. Like, he, he was training for a fight, presumably, like, for this weekend for UFC 277. And the opponent, opponent never came through, so they paired him up with Ludovic Klein. They moved them both to that London card, assuming that Jones would do well there. It didn't work out for him. I'm glad, man. I, I like Ludovic Klein a lot. I was excited about him when he made his UFC debut. And I'm glad he's making right after those couple of losses on the come-up. And then uh, outside of that, what else is worth? Um, Muhammad Makayev, basically, you know, I, I said that 
Charles Johnson's going to be able to get up, but Makayev's not going to let go of him. That's what happened. Makayev was super, super safe and trying not to take any risks. Jay Herbert, Kyle Nelson went exactly as I kind of figured it would. I thought Kyle Nelson was a live dog at those odds. Those odds were disrespectful to him, and it was kind of crazy. But Kyle Nelson always does well in the beginning and then starts to fall apart. That's exactly how it happened. Jay Herbert had the staying power to, to stick around and do well in the second half of the fight. Uh, Victoria Leonardo over Mandy Bohm. I was right about that one. Nicholas Dalby came through for me against Claudio Silva after a rough first round, exactly as I as I kind of saw it happening. Jonathan Pierce, who I expected would have like a closer first round against Amerikani and then really take over. Uh, he had pretty dominant fight against him. Makwan Amerikani doesn't have the conditioning. We all knew this, but man, he just kind of sliced through him. Nathaniel Wood dominated Charles Rosa as we expected. He looked good at 145, and it seems like cutting weight for him is a concern. Uh, we spoke about Mark Diakasi over Demir Hazovic, just stuck to him like a Dagestani. Um, I think that's all I have to say about that one. What are, what are your thoughts about those few fights, buddy? There's a, I mean, people complained about the card. I didn't think it was so bad. No, it was just a bunch of decisions is what it is. Let's see. One, yeah. two, three, four, uh, five, six, seven, eight. Uh, eight of the first nine fights went to the decision, and then there were, uh, and then there were, you know, a bunch of finishes outside of that Hermanson fight. So overall, pretty well, good. We've card. got, yeah. And ne- I mean, next week we've got a fun one. We have got an intriguing main event with Tiago Santos against Jamal Hall, uh, Jamal Hall Hill, which could yep. be a, ch- a changing of the guard fight. We got a couple of tough, tough fights that I know nothing about. Um, we got yeah, Luke Nick, uh, against... Kamzat Chimaev is pronounced Kamzat, not Hazmat, and uh, and Jamal Hill is just Jamal. It's not Jamahal. Just, just throwing it out there. <laughs> I'm an idiot. Okay. Uh, we got Luke, Luke against Jeff Neal. Because of Sakai, Sergei Spivak should be some sloppy heavyweight fun. Um, Sam Alvey is still around. Uh, Arian Lipsky is still around. There's a bunch of... Uh, oh, we got Brian Battle here. Hopefully he won't look as bad as, as his tough... Uh, his, his tough co-stars were who got like both got washed out in their Man, last that was so bad. fight. Uh, Terrence so uh, McKinney coming back, take on Eric Gonzalez. Corey um, McKenna Miranda Granger is intriguing yeah, enough. That, talk about a first pick looking fight. You got Terrence McKinney against a guy who got finished by Jim Miller. Um, hey, don't don't be Terrence McKinney doesn't finish in the first few seconds. He falls apart. It's not that simple. Is what I, actually yeah, you're probably right. Um, and then we have Marabu and a Silva Stephanie Agar. I'm intrigued by that fight too. These are both like. They both have their strengths. They're both finishers, which is unusual at 135. Um, and, and so that'll be that'll be a fairly violent or, or intriguing fight. One way or the other, one of these women will be dominating at, at, at all moments. And maybe they'll keep switching uh, that dominant situation. Shamil uh, Gamzatov is coming in against Mirsha Serkinov Gamzatov, who lost to Mikhail Olyanchuk in his UFC debut. And guess who called that fight? Me, motherfucker, let's go. Nikolai, that'll do it for this one. Looking forward to watching this next card, UFC 277. It's not like... It's not one of the bigger pay-per-views, right? We're, we're looking at those top two fights. Like, one of them shouldn't even be a title fight. And the other, the other, you know, Amanda Nunes, is she herself? Like, I would love to see her come back. I don't like Juliana Pena, personally. I just think I just think he has, she has a shit together more than Amanda Nunes at this point, which is kind of crazy to say. Yeah, we're in the same, we're in the same spot on that. So let's, uh, let's see how it goes. Maybe I'll pick up a couple of points and make this, I don't know, somewhat interesting going into the fall. Let's you have to it. really. So the problem is, even when I'm good, you don't really. You don't have bad days like my bad days. I am a motherfucking animal, Nikola. Now, look, you you tend to you tend you do tend to rally back in the second half. You're like uh, who who's no? You're like the the Darren. Who's the Darren that always the damage Darren to damage? Stewart. Oh, what is his name? Can't remember his name, but you know who I'm talking about. You, you are like that guy who just gets roughed up in the first half of the fight and then just really takes over and pours it on Nick. And I, I think you could do it. 
Oh, time, Darren Elkins? This is the time. Um, it's probably the time anyone's Elkins, ever going to compare me. Yeah, yeah and first time, or only time anyone's going to compare me to Darren Elkins. Anyway, my friend, we will uh, we'll get into it next week about that Hill Santos card. And let's, see, uh, let's see how everything how everything plays out in Dallas. It's got some, There's definitely some intriguing, intriguing matchups. Yeah, I'd say it's a great fight night card quality. I don't know if it's a great pay per view quality, but I'm, I'm intrigued. It's gonna be oh, yeah. Gonna be it's, uh, uh, yeah, pay for it. Cool. Sorry, you got to do that, Nikolai. Line Dana White's pockets, man. The guy's got to give 250 grand to a social media influencer you know, for his birthday, so somebody's got to pay for that shit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, he wasn't happy. Yeah, why the fuck would you think they wouldn't be? You underpay your fighters grossly, and then you give a fucking social media personality 250 grand? How many fighters you can pay 250 grand for? You can probably count on, a, on one hand current current fucking active players. Maybe two hands. Anyway, next one. Enjoy the rest of your day. Just get down on it.